jump right into my message because I don't feel like I have a ton of time and I've got a really big topic to cover. All right, it's going to be a hard one. So grab your figurative seatbelt, just like buckle yourself in. Never mind, you'll be all right. Uh, we're in this series, we started this last Sunday called Asking for a Friend. Uh, this is the time when I, you know, take a look at questions that other people are submitting. Uh, this is what I'm, this is what I'm up against. This is what I'm facing. This is what I'd like to learn and understand. And, uh, so there was a question that was presented. It was actually a number of questions, but I think one that really made it all very concise for our understanding. And, and this is the question for us this morning. How do I navigate woke culture as a Christian? How do I navigate woke culture as a Christian? And I think this is so important for us to answer this question as a church and, and as, as representatives of Jesus Christ, because there is a right way and a wrong way, okay? Now, and I want to be very careful because here's the reality. Within the room, there are three different people, and I can really only speak to one of you. I don't have time to speak to all three. Either you understand woke culture and it infuriates you and you, you feel like all this hatred and animosity towards anybody who isn't part of woke culture. Maybe you're on the other side and when I said woke, you're like, what does that mean? Like I woke up this morning. Is that what you're talking about? Like you did that and we're proud of you. That was really good. Good job with that woke thing that you did this morning. But maybe you're in the middle and you're like, yeah, I've heard about that, but I don't really know what that is. Like, what, what does that mean? Or maybe you know a little bit more about what it is, but you're like, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to navigate that and be Christ-like. Uh, that's who I want to speak to today, okay? I, I'm not trying to create arguments. Uh, in fact, if anything I say today offends you, my, my email address is pastormike at myfamilylife.church. All right, make sure you spell it right. I know it sounds weird, but it, it, it's spelled, Chris is spelled Pastor M-I-K-E. You'll, you'll see, and you can just send that right to me. Uh, but, but we'll be glad to get that. But listen, it, this is a tough subject, and it's something that's really in our world today, and, and we need to go into it compassionately. Uh, because there are realities of woke culture that we probably don't understand, and I'll explain that a little bit more in a second. But, but I want to kind of start here, and I need to give you some background. I'm going to throw a lot at you in the very beginning before we kind of unpack some scripture. Just for those of you who are like, well, I don't even know what, what woke culture is. I don't even know what it means to be woke. Uh, so what, is, what does it mean? Where did it come from? All right. Woke actually is a word that goes back all the way to the 1930s and 40s, okay? It's actually a very old term. Um, it was the first used in conjunction with racial injustice. It got its, its most prominent start in the 1940s. Uh, there were a group of African-American mine workers who were working in Virginia. They found out that they were not being paid the same amount as their white counterparts. And so they went on strike, and they, they went out and left, and then the, the leader, like the union leader, uh, came back and said, we were sleeping, but we are woke now, and we will stay woke. Uh, in that, that we didn't realize these things were going on. And so th the concept behind woke culture is this. There are things that go on that you may not know and you may not understand. You didn't even know that they were going on. Uh, and, and when you become aware of them, it begins to change the way you think and perceive and move forward. And, and, and so it, it has a, a good background, obviously, right? And, and here's the thing, though. About 15 years ago, it kind of transitioned, all right? It was not just about racial injustice. It began to encompass 
all racial or all types of inequality throughout our entire world. And so at that point, it began to cover topics like racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism. Uh, If you've never heard of ableism before, I actually had to look that one up myself. Uh, That is basically that there are people who feel marginalized because there's not enough like handicap access in the world. If someone who is handicapped, they they have to deal with a different life and sometimes their needs get marginalized. And and so there's a real issue here that takes place in these things. And again, we as a church, we want to start off very compassionate with this and understand Listen, if there's racism going on in the world, we as the church should be the first to stand against it. If there's sexism going on in the world, we should be the first to stand against it, all right? We, we should be the ones who are part of that, but the problem is woke culture has lumped all of that together in that if you are against any of it, which as the church, our, our biggest rub, and I'll explain this more, is uh, homosexuality and transgender issues, then you become lumped into being against all of it. You are the problem in the world because the woke culture has villains. And here's, here's what happened, what created the divide for us, okay? Because for every issue, there has to be a bad guy. How many of you guys watch movies and there's always a bad guy, right? Right? Well, two of you, good. Uh, the rest of you just fell asleep or weren't listening, I don't know. Here's what we got with the, the, the villains that were created, okay? Racism. It's because you're white. You know, the, the white, we hear the term white privilege even, all, all of these things. I know those are words that frustrate, just bear with me, okay? Sexism, it's because of the men. Men have created the, the issues with sexism. Homophobia and transphobia, it's because you're heterosexual and or religious. And then ableism, because you're healthy, you're able-bodied. It's not, you don't wake up every day thinking about the issues of those who are in a wheelchair or who are bedridden. You, those aren't on your mind. And so... Because the woke ideology began to bring all of this in, it then began to create villains. Who's, the, who's against who? Who's against who? And I, and I think you'd agree with me, all right, if you're, if you're looking at our culture, it's created some deep divides in our world, right? It's pitted different people groups between race and gender and sexual identity and orientation all against each other all over our country. And that's why this question becomes so important. How do we navigate that? How do we as Christians wade into the waters of a world that is so broken and has all of these things going on and, and, and try to find a way to, to be loving and compassionate to that world? I want to give you a few vocab words. I know you weren't expecting that in church this morning. There will be a test after service. Please make sure that you pay attention to these, all right? Uh, here's a couple of vocab words for you. Systemic inequality, all right? Maybe if you've never heard that before, systemic just means that at the foundation, okay, and, and this is the rub of woke culture, that somewhere woven within our cultural background, the foundation of our country, there is a systemic brokenness that le- lends for some people to be privileged and blessed and other people's to be kept in a place of oppression. That's what systemic inequality is. And, and then obviously the move from that point is to try to create systemic equality out, out of that goal. Uh, number two is acceptance. We all get this one, right? We all want to be accepted for who we are, right? No, you don't want somebody to walk up to you and just be like, you ugly. That hurts your feeling. It hurts mine. Don't say that to me after service. Again, Pastor Mike at, no. No, I don't want you to email him that either. <laughs> I don't want you to hurt Pastor Mike's feeling. We, we all are looking for acceptance. And, and I, again, I want to say it in these terms because we need to look at this compassionately. We're looking for acceptance too, all right? And, and, and again, for those who are marginalized, they're really looking for it because of the difficulty. Oppression. 
you know, there are difficulties that these individual groups face that maybe you don't face, I don't face, that maybe you and I don't even understand, okay? And so there's some oppressive things that they look at. Uh, cultural appropriation. Maybe if you've heard that term, that just means re-education, all right? We're re-educating people to understand that there have been other cultures throughout history that have been a part of what we are today, and we need to look at, learn from, and also celebrate those, those other cultures that have been a big part of what we are today. Uh, and then representation, and again, we're seeing this all over the place. You cannot watch a TV show without representation of every single one of these issues that I just, just rattled off here, right? There has to be some, something that talks about the equality of the races, uh, equality of genders, equality. The, every show now has to have some kind of homosexual or transgender aspect added into it. Um, all of these things are part of it. And there, there's a call for representation. If I'm in one of these groups, I want my, my issues and my, my concerns to be represented into the world. And then lastly, and I didn't put this one on here, um, is called intersectionality, okay? Intersectionality is the understanding that, okay, if, if there is racism in the world, okay, imagine being, have, being a minority and that your race, that people are racist against you and being a female. Now you've got two things against you. Or imagine being a female who is handicapped, or, um, you know what I mean? So looking at these different things where they cross one another and it actually makes it worse for certain groups over others. But I'm going to give you some statistics. I know this is a lot. Just stick with me. Don't fall asleep yet. Percentage of U.S. adults who identify as something other than heterosexual in this country has doubled in the last 10 years. From 3.5% in 2012 to 7.1% in 2022. Here's the thing that's happened at the same time. Trans youth have become 5.9 time, times more likely to attempt, not just think about, but to attempt suicide than biological gender teens. Gay and lesbian youth, and they define youth as, as anyone from the ages of 18 to 25, okay? Gay and lesbian youth are 3.7 times more likely to attempt suicide than heterosexual youth. Bisexual youth are 3.7 times more likely to attempt suicide than heterosexual youth. And we look through the history of, of what has been a part of every generation that is still living, okay? And we have our traditionalists. So if you are 78 or older, I don't know if you knew this, I'd never heard this before, you are a traditionalist, okay? Among traditionalists, only 0.8% identify as LGBTQ. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's lesbian, uh, what is it? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, and they have all the other plus things now. Next generation, baby boomers, only 3%. Generation X, only 4.2%. But then we see this sudden, massive increase. Millennials, 10.5%. Gen Z, 21%. And I want to tell you that that's a very low estimate because half of Gen Z is not adult yet to even be counted. I'm, I guarantee you it's far higher than that. And so we look at this, and the real interesting thing is that if we look back at statistics from 2017, 2020, and 2023, among all these other um, uh, generations, the traditionalists, the baby boomers, and the Gen X, no change. No change whatsoever. But in the last six years, just six years, millennials and Gen Z have nearly doubled. It's just on the rise like crazy. It's an ideology that is taking off on its own. And, and again, 
rooted in the idea that we want to say we, we want to create space for those individuals, right? We want to normalize it because if we do so, then maybe we'll be able to help with the, the mental health issues that are associated with it. Because I don't know about you, I don't want anybody committing suicide. Anybody. I don't care where you're from, what your your race, any of those things. And, and listen, God has not called us to hate anybody. I don't want anybody committing suicide. But here's the problem, and there's what the data points to. Acceptance has certainly impacted LGBTQ identity because it's on the rise like crazy, but it has had neutral to negative impact on the mental health of the LGBTQ individuals. So woke culture is pushing more acceptance, more understanding, more education, more compassion, more this. If it was a bigger part of our culture, a bigger part of our society, it would help those individuals. It would help them. Statistics don't point to that at all. These kids, they're, they're struggling. These youth, these young adults, they're struggling. And they're being caught up in an issue that is radically transforming their thinking. Now, we as a church, where do we fit into this? Because God's called us to be compassionate to people who are lost and hurting. And, and let's, let's stop there, okay? And I didn't share this in first service, but something I feel like I need to share. I know that the term... Um, privileged makes people's blood boil. I get that. But I want you to hear what they're actually saying. You've never had to experience these things. You, you, you don't know what it's like. And, and I'm, I throw myself in there as well. And I, and I will say, and I feel blessed by having had this, I've been in a couple circumstances in my life in America and in other countries where I have been the absolute minority in that position. I will tell you, it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. You, you don't know what it's like until you've experienced it, okay? And so we need to have compassion for those because these individuals represent people who are hurting. They feel like nobody cares about them. And, and we as the church, unfortunately, have gotten caught up in a cultural war where because villains were created and because there was such a move, we fell right in line and we started fighting back, mostly on Facebook, right? Because that's the best place to win a war. You come up with a zinger of a post and you throw it out there, that's going to change the world. I know that's what most of us think, right? Can I just say as a public service announcement, don't argue with people on social media that you don't know personally. There's nothing to be gained from that. In fact, all it does for our Christian witness is make us look like we're filled with hatred. If you don't know somebody personally to have a personal conversation with them, be very careful about the things you're just throwing out there without someone knowing who you are and what you represent. But here's what we need to understand, because the big rub for us is this. And again, like I said before, we as the church should be leading the call to end racism, to end sexism, to end those. That should be our call. And if we don't, we don't understand those things, we don't even know where to start, okay? Because... I'll be honest, I look the, the villain of woke culture in the mirror every morning. I look that villain in the mirror every morning. I am male, I am white, I am heterosexual, religious, and able-bodied. I am the problem, okay? That, that's what this culture has tried to promote, is that anybody who embodies those things, you are the problem. Well, I want to be part of the solution. I want to be part of the solution and not get caught up in a culture war but focus on what, what does God say we should do? Because here's the rub. Do I want to see sexism, racism, ableism go out the window? You're absolutely right. I absolutely do. But biblically speaking, I cannot accept homosexuality and transgender issues. And that's where we as the church have our greatest rub. 
And I want to just share this really quick because I, I, I have to kind of move on from it. I really don't understand whatsoever the debate in Christian circles over whether or not God is against transgenderism and homosexuality. Listen, I know, and I got this question a lot for this series. Where does it say in the Bible? Does it say in the Bible? Yes, it absolutely does. Um, in fact, you can throw this up here. There's a word in Scripture that is pornaya. Pornaya is the Greek word which just means anything outside of, okay? Anything outside of committed monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. Anything outside of that, the, the Greek word that the Bible uses to describe that is the word pornaya. So the only way you can come up with a theology that God is okay and accepting of homosexuality and transgender issues is to erase this word from Scripture because it clearly states it. Um, I went to the Kansas City Mint uh, several years ago, and uh, when you go through there, that's where they make the money. They don't give it away, though, I asked. Um, actually, that's not true. They do give it away, but it's shredded into pieces like this tiny, so it's no, not helpful. But as we walked through there, they were talking about uh, counterfeiting, okay? And, and so people spend a lot of time and energy into counterfeiting money because wouldn't it be better to waste all of your time trying to make fake money than to just go get a job and make real money, right? So they have entire organizations, right, and these, these officers, that, that what they do is they are against uh, all this counterfeiting. Well, here's how they do it. They don't spend their time studying all of the different counterfeits that are out there so that they know what they look like. They train themselves by studying the genuine article all day, every day, knowing it inside and out, so that if anything that is presented to them does not fit what they've been studying, they go, that's counterfeit, that's counterfeit, that's counterfeit. And the same is true in our biblical approach to healthy sexuality. Yes, Jesus does not stand up on the, at the Sermon on the Mount and say, uh, murder is wrong, oh yeah, and homosexuality is wrong. He doesn't have to, because scripturally speaking, he's already promoted time and time again, and Jesus did say this, this is the reason why um, a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He is just reappropriating what is already the expectation and cultural norm. He doesn't have to say, well, bestiality is wrong and homosexuality is wrong and, and go down the whole list. He said, this is the genuine article of what God created. Anything outside of this is not God's will. All right, so here's all those verses. You can read them. Again, you don't like it, text Pastor Mike or, or, or you can email him. So where do we go from here? I know this is a lot. I threw a lot at you in a few minutes here. Where do we go from here? I see Jesus' heart towards this issue found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 29. And Jesus speaks to a religious expert, all right? And the Bible terms him this way as someone who was very religious, but obviously at this point have no relationship with Jesus. And so this is what it says. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Now here's what every person in the world does because we're human. This is what this man does too. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh, can you define that for me? Did you mean that loosely or figure like the people right next door to my house? They're my neighbors, right? 
In fact, because he asked this question, Jesus has to go on to then tell the story that you've probably heard before of the Good Samaritan, right? That there was a man, he's walking down the street, he gets mugged and he's left for dead. He, and, and Jesus points it out this way. He goes, there's a Jewish priest who sees this man lying for dead and goes, ew, and crosses the street to get away from it. A fellow brother who sees him laying there and he goes, oh, I don't want to be bothered with this and walks around him. But then he says, an enemy, which is what Samaritans were to the Jewish people, an enemy saw him and felt compassion for him and went over and took care of him and bonded him up and took him to somebody and even said, if this doesn't cover all of the expenses, when I come back, I'll pay the rest. This is the picture that Jesus used when talking about loving your neighbor. Because why? We're human. We're human. And at the base root, even though we say we don't like them, we're lawyers. Do I have to? What do you mean by neighbor, God? What do you mean by love? What do you mean by this? And, and I want to point this out very clearly for what the scriptures describe as love. Because here's the other problem that we get into. We get asked as Christians, aren't we supposed to love everybody? Aren't Christians supposed to love everybody? What do you think? Absolutely. Here's the problem. Here's the rub. We're living in a culture that says, if you don't accept my actions and my, my way of thinking and living, then you don't love me. And we as Christians are coming in behind that and saying, well, I can't accept your actions because they're against Scripture and I can't love you that way. I can't, I can't love you the way that you need to be loved. So how can I love somebody without condoning their actions? Well, it's pretty simple. If you read in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, I'm sure if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this, okay? And, and the, the, the love that is described in 1 Corinthians is agape love. It's not actually the love between a husband and wife or brothers. It's the love of God. And he says, this is how you ought to love each other, the way that God loves you. It says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It, does not, it is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every single circumstance. This is the love of God that God is challenging us to go out and to love the world with. But if I do that, then they'll think, I, no, you don't have to tell them you agree with them, but you don't use that as an excuse to not love them. You don't use that as an excuse to not love them. God has called us to be his hands and feet extended into the world, loving a people who need to know just how much he cares about them. And guess what? He's sending you to do it. But we have become convinced of what, what the cultural idea is instead of the biblical idea. The cultural idea is, well, if I love somebody, they're going to think I'm condoning their actions. They're going to think that what they're doing is okay. And I can't have anything to do with them because I'm not going to condone their actions, so I don't love them. I want nothing to do with them. But biblical love is a challenge for us to go even to those who are unlovable. Anybody here ever been unlovable before? I know I have. Jess told me. Even to the unlovable, right? Love is not about something that someone deserves. It's a challenge that God has given us to give. In fact, he even says, freely you receive, so freely give. Go out into the world and love. And that doesn't have to mean that we're condoning or accepting other people's actions. But we can't use it as an excuse to no longer continue to love them the way that they're called to be loved. Here's the rub. Popular worldview. If you don't accept my actions, then you don't love me. You don't accept my actions, then you don't love me. 
Biblical worldview says, if I accept your actions and don't challenge your sin, then I don't love you. I, I can't just look at you and let you stay the way you are and call that love. Because I actually care about you and not just your physical self, but your spiritual self that's going to live for eternity. I care about that person. And, and church, when we get caught up in the culture war, do you think that they're hearing about our love? They're not hearing about our love. They're not hearing about Jesus' love. They're hearing about the hatred. And listen, it's happened for years. I mean, probably a lot of you heard, I mean, just probably 15, 20 years ago, uh, the Wellsboro Baptist Church out in Missouri, they used to go around to uh, funerals for homosexuals, and they would literally protest with signs that says, God hates homosexuals. I, I don't know in the history of the world anybody who's ever been hated to Jesus. In the history of the whole world, I've never met a single person who said, yeah, there was a church that really hated me, and so I found my way to Jesus. God has not called us to hate. In fact, Romans 4.2 reminds us, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not our Facebook posts. It's not our X things. I don't know what are they, Twitter got changed to X, so I don't know what they're, they're called now. It's not your Instagram post. It's not any of the, it's, it's through physically going in and loving the unlovable, reaching the unreached. And listen, I know this hits on many different levels. Some of you have family members. Some of you have neighbors. Some of you have coworkers. Some of you have friends who have been in this position. And it's like, what do I do? I, I, I got the question as I was preparing for this. Uh, what if someone in your family is homosexual and getting married and, and they invite you to the wedding? Should I go? Can I go to the wedding? Or am, am, I, am I condoning their actions? Am I this, this hits us on a very real level. And, and the only response that we have, the only biblical response is to love the sinner and hate the sin. The world says you can't do that. Then you, That's not possible. You can't hate the sin and love somebody. The scriptures say that we can. And I, and I just feel like somebody needs to hear this. Maybe you've never heard this before in your life. You can actually disagree with somebody and still love them. Did you know that? Like, not everybody in the world has to think exactly like you think. And if they don't, it's okay. And you can still love them because it's God's kindness through you that's going to lead them to repentance far sooner than for you to spew something on Facebook and say something hateful and tell them you want nothing to do with them and act militantly towards that people group. Because here's the real issue, church. Ephesians reminds us of this reality. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers of the powers of darkness that wage war against God's people. What does that mean? It means you have never seen the face of your enemy. It means your enemy is not the person who waves a rainbow flag in the month of June. Your enemy is not the person who cross-dresses and, and goes to your workplace and wants their, their pronouns to be changed or they want to be called them, they, or whatever. They're not your enemy. Your, your war is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers of darkness. You want to see change in a generation? And listen, we need to take responsibility for this because we're the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. Church, there are two generations 
Gen Z and millennials and Generation Alpha will be right behind them if there isn't a generation that's going to fall on its knees and beg God for revival. That's on us. To do spiritual warfare against the enemy because they're getting beat. They're being fed lies. The Bible reminds us that Satan is the father of lies. It's his native tongue. When when he lies, he is being his truest self to lie. And we're watching an entire generation, two generations at this point around us, that is being totally destroyed by this lie. But then we're getting caught up in that same war of hatred, frustration, anger, bitterness. Well, they started it, but we're going to finish it. Church, woke culture is looking for answers. They're looking for compassion. They're looking for love. They're looking for truth. There's real hurt in what some of them have experienced. That doesn't mean we say, well, it's okay. You do you. You do you. We love people to Jesus and we encourage them that He loves them. He has a plan for their lives. We don't leave them in sin, right? But we also remember All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't know about you. I'll raise mine both hands. I was not perfect when I came to Jesus. I needed a whole lot of cleaning. I needed a whole lot of fixing. But I'm so grateful that God and other believers loved through my brokenness to lead me to Jesus. They didn't look at my brokenness. That guy's a lost cause. Some of them should have but they loved me through my brokenness back to Jesus. Church, that's how we navigate woke culture. That's how we navigate. It's with the love of Christ. Not to be filled with hatred, not to be called to some kind of militant response, not to go out and protest against them and tell them that God hates them, but to tell them that God loves them and wants relationship with them. And listen, we'll clean the fish after we catch it. We'll get it, we'll work on it as time goes by because I don't know about you, God's still working on me too. And it's going to take a move of people coming to the Lord in order for that, that shift to take place in our world. But we lead the charge through that by being a people of prayer, hitting our knees and loving, hurting people with the love of Jesus without condoning their actions, but telling them I'm here and I care about you because you're a person created in the image of Jesus. You have value. Your life has meaning. You're searching. You're looking for answers. You're trying to change your identity, your clothes, your sexual orientation, whatever it is. But you were created with a purpose and Jesus died for you and he loves you and he has a plan for you. And if you would just enter into a relationship with him, he could change everything about you. Church, that's how we love the lost back to Jesus through kindness and mercy to show them his faithfulness. Will you stand with me as we close out? I know this is not a traditional ending for one of our services. There's usually some music and, and everything else, but here's the reality. There's probably nobody in this room who doesn't know someone affected by these issues. It's, it's become such a part of our culture. We want to be very careful with our response because that has been, become lumped together. And, and listen, here's the, the part that we got to be very careful of. If we become a people filled with hatred for one portion of that group, we'll be seen as a people filled with hatred for all of them. We've got to be careful about that. Because it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. 
And I want to pray for you because I know it's not easy to navigate. I, I, I intentionally did not answer the question, do I go to that wedding? I can't answer that for you. You're going to have to seek the Lord because it's not cut and dry. It's not yes, no. You're going to have to seek the Lord on that. But I want to pray for you that God would give you wisdom as you navigate these issues because it's your world. But more importantly, that God's call to action in all of our lives would be to turn off Facebook and hit our knees because that's where real change is going to take place. God, we are sometimes caught up in cultural battles, but we acknowledge right here and now that we do not wage war our enemy is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers of darkness. And that's where we want to do warfare, God. Lord, would you put us in to this, this place of being spiritual warriors who are going to battle for our neighbors and friends and co-workers and family members who are caught up in these issues, God? Lord, would we be so drawn by compassion to pray for them and the hurt that they're experiencing, the brokenness that they feel, the confusion they're living in? Lord, hatred for their own lives, God, would you call us to be a people filled with your love, that agape love that cares for the broken, that cares for the lost, God. And Lord, that realizes we're not not condoning people's actions through our love. We are sharing the love of Jesus. And we are being a beacon to a hurting world. And we're going to be partakers of that kindness, God, that leads people back to your heart. God, I pray for wisdom in here. There are people all over this room that face these issues daily give them wisdom god fill them with compassion guard our hearts that we don't become calloused against these people groups and thinking that they're the problem or are they thinking that we're the problem lord let us be a people of prayer a people of compassion and love like you've called us to be as we navigate into the future god and who knows where it will will turn if you don't return soon but when you do return we want to be found faithful So let us be faithful here and love as you do. And God, we give all of this for your glory. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to all of our hearts and minds as we navigate forward. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, you did a great job looking like deer in headlights for the last 30 minutes. I congratulate you. Uh, Love you so much more than you know. Again, Pastor Mike at myfamilylife.church. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. The Lord bless you as you go out today.